difference between what it means to be good when you're trying to be epic. Uh, no, you don't gotta believe in me. Nothing can stop me. I already said it. I'm taking everything they stole from us. Yeah. You got your problems, I'm a whole nother. I'm giving people something to believe in. I'ma show them freedom like a bone cutter. We gonna fight back. And welcome back, everyone, to It's Last Call. Last call for the alcohol only on it is the Blue Water Hustle Network. You know, join me on the line. This man here. Well, he was once again very impressive in his uh, return to Bellator 252, this time beating undefeated Shiler Sudo in a bantamweight scrap. Well, we're going to find out what the future of his going forward is. I'm looking forward to it here. I give you once again the pride and joy all the way from West Palm Beach, Florida, and he's trained with the America Top Team. I'll give you A1 himself. I'll give you Yarnell Lugo. Uh, Yarnell, let's start off with the big question. Uh, what is going on with you and Bellator now? Is there a contract? Has, are there talks? Are things, I guess, progressing quicker than they were the last time I would talk to you? Yeah, um, by the way, I'm, I'm, a, I'm with a Combat Club, not America Top Team. I used to be with them years ago, so I think that's on top, topology still. But, yeah, I'm with a Combat Club now. But, um. I mean, we were supposed to be getting a contract after this fight. It was supposed to be an option, I guess, for them to give me a contract after this last fight. But um, we've reached out. So right now we're waiting on them to get back to us. They said they were going to talk about it. So right now, you know, fingers crossed, hopefully they sign me and they see the, the um, <clears throat> they see my worth. You know, I think I'm definitely a good fighter and I'm better than a lot of guys that they have on their roster. So I don't see why they wouldn't sign me, to be honest. Well, we'll go back into this much later later on the interview. First, let's talk about the fight itself. Uh, you, Charlotte Slutho, and we got to screw up his name, I apologize, but it was supposed to be plan A. You take him down, you submit him, beat him up a bit. He was a lot more tougher. We saw, though, you your striking and improved striking in terms of movement, you know, hitting him, you know, hitting and missing, keeping him basically, you know, on his heels. How happy were you that you got to show a different side of your fight game, that you got to show that I'm more than just a wrestler, but I can strike if I need to? Yeah, yeah. I was, I was de I'm definitely happy. I want to show people that I can do it all. I'm an MMA fighter. I'm not just a stand-up fighter. I'm not just a grappler. I'm not just a jiu-jitsu guy. You know, like, I can do everything. So I went in there with the game plan to take him down and dominate him on the ground because he's a kickboxer. But um, he's a lot bigger than me. He was able to pop up. You know, he did a good job on his uh, getting up and, I mean, I guess I should have suspected that because I know people who want to stand, they're usually really good at making sure they stay standing, you know? So um, he did a real good job of that, and I had to switch up the game plan in the third round and do something a little bit different. I said, okay, um, I can't hold him down, but I need to – I need to. I want to get a clear, dominant round, and, you know, so you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to stand with him. And um, on the feet, I was able to show my timing was good, my defense was good, um, my movement. Uh, my offense, my combinations. I was able to show a lot of different things on the feet. So I'm, I'm very glad with the performance that I was able to show that I'm able to do everything in the ring, you know? Well, with, the, with the exception of the first round where at the end you hit this beautiful doubling takedown, you, 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 you drop levels, you hit him, you know, perfectly, put him on his back, you're in his half guard. How tough was it for you that he always seemed to be in the air of a cage, so he knew that if you got in, he could use the cage as sort of almost a shield where you couldn't get around him. Yeah, you're, you're in, a in position to get the takedown, but he knew exactly almost positional MMA fighting where I'll use a cage to, you know, to prevent him from taking me down. I'll use it to keep my back against it. I'll use the cage almost as a weapon against this kid. Yeah, he did a really good job of that. Whenever, like, um, like in the middle of the ring, he did a good job of making sure that whenever I would like change levels, he stepped a foot back, you know, he would always back up a little bit. So he did a real good job of making sure I couldn't get to his legs. But what I did was I started using that, the fact that he was backing up, like moving a foot back to set up my shots up top, you know? So it's either you're going to let me go for my takedown or I'm going to use that as a setup to hit you up top. Um, so he did a real good job of that in the middle of the ring, which is why I was only able to land that one takedown. He made an adjustment in the second round and made sure I wasn't able to get that again. But, um, when I would like go for a takedown, he would be against the cage and that, you know, I got a lot of takedowns off the cage, but he was able to pop back up and use the cage to climb back up. He did a great job with that. Like, um, that was great on his part. So I was definitely like, Hmm, smart. Good for you. You know, that's what made me have to change my game plan, you know? So let's talk about the changes you made in round two. I noticed that you did a lot more leg kicks in terms of 
going to the head, going to the body, going to the leg. Uh, you didn't ever really get right in front of him in terms of just allowing him to then plant his feet and start firing off with the kicks. Everything you did was a lot of pressure, 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 moving about, you know, using your momentum. How much of this fight for you came down to just the cardio so that you could go a full 15 minutes and you're just bobbing and weaving. You're hitting him with a flying knee here, there. You're hitting with something and he's never able to just catch you, you know, flush with either a big kick, a big shot, something that just all of a sudden changed the momentum of that fight. Yeah, well, for, well, I guess it's like two questions in there. But for one, I think my, my cardio was really good. I felt good on my cardio. On the cage, when I was going for takedowns, I was making sure to stay very calm and composed while I was trying to take them down. Not like nervous or like desperate for a takedown. You know, I was going for methodical takedowns. They just weren't, you know, they were, they were, I was getting them down, but he would pop back up. But they weren't taking a lot out of me. It wasn't like I had to be in that situation. I felt very technical with it. So my cardio felt really good. Um then uh, <clears throat> as far as uh, my defense goes, my defense also felt very good because he did a lot of walking forward and a lot of um, swinging hard shots, you know. So my defense felt good, and I was able to see a lot of different things come in and, and use a lot of those things to my advantage, use his forward pressure to my advantage, you know, whereas usually you could use – like usually I would use my forward pressure to my advantage, but since he was doing all the moving forward, I would just take, that, take advantage of that, you know. So you can always – take advantage of your forward pressure or their forward pressure. Either way, it doesn't make a difference, you know? How weird was it having that fight with no crowd? Because usually when you're fighting, there's a crowd, you're getting into it, you know, you, people are cheering or people are booing. There's always something here. You could literally hear your corner shout instructions crystal clear. You could hear the other guys shouting the same instructions. And it's like, wow, I, I literally can hear everybody. I can even hear a the announcers explaining what's going on. I mean, how, how I guess, sort of was that like just, you know, out of body experience having just silence during the fight? Oh, uh, well, my last fight, I, when I fought, it was no crowd. Also, my first pro fight, I fought there was basically no crowd because no one was really there. So um, I, I'm pretty used to it. I fought multiple times with having no crowd and just hearing corners. To me, it makes no difference. I think it's a little bit funner, you know, when there's a crowd because you can hear, like, when you're coming out and after the fight, you know, the chairs and all that kind of stuff. But during the fight, it's usually always pretty quiet. Like, if you, even with the crowd, you always notice when the fight starts, like, you can hear a pin drop. It's very quiet. But, yeah, I'm pretty used to it. I think it's, I think it's all the same. Is it also easier that you don't have to worry about just the booing? And I know everybody says, oh, we don't notice it, but – you feel it when, you know, all of a sudden the crowd starts booing. Because, you know, especially in the Northeast, they want just, you know, stand and bang, bro, stand and bang, blood and guts. They want a brawl. Wrestling, no, not, not as much. And they'll force referees, if the referees aren't strong enough to, you know, give, you know do stand-ups, get guys to move. Is it easier during this pandemic to just fight and not have to worry about a crowd getting bored because, well, there's no blood? You guys aren't just doing rock and sock and robots. You're actually having a mixed martial arts contest. Yeah, actually, that's, that's something. That's not something I actually even thought about, to be honest. I, I wonder if that would have played an effect in the fight had I had there been a crowd booing. If I would let let him go and try to strike more, that's actually a good question. I'm not sure if that would have made a difference or not, but maybe if um, that's actually a good question. I'm not sure actually. If those people booing, I might have let go knows that that made a difference so that might be for the better question. if you're just tuning in ladies and gentlemen once again we got it is uh a one himself uh yornel lugo on the show we're talking all things of course his bellator fight with charlotte sutho we're talking about the, the pandemic we're talking about possible bellator contract let's talk about what's been going on the last eight months 12 months i mean for you i'm guessing it's been just frustrating because when we last talked with you, you were coming fresh off a win over John Duma. You were hoping to get some more fights under your belt. You know, 2020 was going to be the year you start blowing up. And then coronavirus hit. And then the pandemic hit. And forget about just, you know, the fight for fighting. How tough was it in those first couple months where you're not making any money, you have a family, you have kids, you're trying to provide for them, and you're just sitting there like, okay, when is it going to be a break? When can I get back to the gym? When can I do something here? Because you know what? If I'm not fighting, I'm not making money. 
and I'm not even training people, which means I'm not making money. I mean, how nervous were you getting when it was June, July, and they're still talking, well, we might not be able to fight for a couple more months? Um, well, I actually had a nine to five job, a full time job earlier in the year. And well, for the last few years, I've been working a full time nine to five job. So I wasn't too worried about the money. I actually wasn't living off of this ever in my life until right now. This is actually my first fight where I trained full time. And um, the money that I made from the fight is going to be paying my bills. So how much easier was it before easier for you with, with the full time job? And how much tougher was it about just still having you know, being in a, in a zone where the coronavirus is big, Northeast, how, how was it watching, you know, friends, family, and you've seen it. They lost their jobs. They're losing their house. They can't, they can't pay the bills. I mean, all this is going on, and I'm guessing you felt bad because it's like, well, I, I can't help out. I'm, I myself only have a, a nine-to-five job, which is paycheck to paycheck. I got to take care of all these bills, and yet other people around me are struggling. Now there's nothing I can do to help them out. I know, it definitely, it, it sucked. A lot of people were going through it. Um, I think that's crazy. It's, it's crazy, to be honest. For me, it was a, a blessing because I was able to get an unemployment and lit, and work and uh, train full-time. So for me, it was actually a great thing to train, man, because that's all I've ever, ever wanted to do was train full-time. But seeing everybody going through that around me, that, did, that, that does suck, man. A lot of people uh, lost their jobs and lost their businesses and stuff like that. It's crazy. It's a crazy time of living, man. But luckily for me, like I said, luckily for me, I was able to. It was able to be a positive thing for me. Last, last question on this: How tough was it having you know all the momentum basically put on a hold? Because as you said, 2019, three straight wins in the pro ranks. Uh, you were coming off a big win over John Duma, who a lot of people were high on. You're thinking, okay, I'll double this by the mid by summer of 2020. You know, but next time, you know. I'll be back in Bellator around probably April. I'll be ready. And how frustrating was it seeing that momentum just get ground to a halt because of all this and not being able to fight until August? Yeah, that part sucked. Um, I was supposed to fight back in March. That was supposed to be my fourth fight, and then it got canceled. That was the first fight I've ever had canceled in my, my whole life. I've never trained a full camp and then was not able to fight. So to me, that was crazy, but, you know, they say, you know, most things happen for a reason. So, I mean, I, I like to believe that, you know, for the, it was for the best for me. But that definitely slowed down the year a lot. I mean, I just got two in. Thankfully, honestly, a lot of people didn't even haven't even got one in during this so far. So the fact that I got two in, I'm grateful for that. But I would have liked to have gotten four in or three, like three to four in. But anything's better than nothing, right? I hear you. So, we go back to what we originally talked about, the contract. And I get it. Right now, Bellator has a fight that's coming up coming up this Thursday. They got another one right you know, right off the bat in December. So I'm guessing for them, it's just we're focusing on the fights, focusing on the fights, trying to get everything organized because they're living in Connecticut. Is there a time frame, though, that you and your team are going, okay, we won't answer. I mean, we're now 2 and old Bellator. We've beaten two guys who are a combined 8-1. and one. We're in a bantamweight division. You guys are trying to – you're building that division. You brought in all these kids here, these veterans. You know, we want answer because we've done it. We've proven we can hang with, you know, good fighters. It's not like you're just beating guys who are 1-0 and or 0-0 or, you know, 0-1. You've beaten two guys. Both of them were considered high, legit prospects. Is there a frustration right now that it's like, okay, we want an answer because if Bellator's not going to sign me – I got other people probably call my, you know, call me, ask me, hey, I'll, you want to join the PFL? You want to join the LFA? You want to go over to uh, one championship? I, I have no problem traveling. I want an answer, but, you know, sooner rather than later. Yeah, I mean, what, exactly what you said. I, I pretty much, I, I agree with, you know, I want to I want to go to Bellator, but I'm definitely, you know, I could go to, uh, uh, go on freaking contender series or do the ultimate fighter. There's different paths that I can go down to. So right now, um, going with the grain, I would like to go to Bellator. I feel the same way like you. Like you said, I fought two guys with an eight and one combined record in Bellator so far. So I haven't fought any bums. You know, I fought people that were actually good fighters. So they should see that I'm a good fighter. So I agree with everything you said. I mean, I think they should be trying to sign me. Well, we'll see what happens. As I said, hopefully Bellator starts getting back into signing things once they leave Connecticut. Well, I hope, as I said, that might be in the next couple of weeks. We'll see what happens. But, ladies and gentlemen, once again, we are proud to have on the show. I give you 
victorious at Bellator 252. I give you is uh, Yordan Lugo. Uh, Yordan, before I let you go, where can the fans check you out at? Where is the Twitter page, Instagram, the website? Where can fans contact you at? Um, you can follow me on Instagram at A Uno Lugo. It's just A U N O L U G O. And on Twitter at A Uno Lugo. And at, on Facebook at Jornel Ventura. Jornel Lugo, ladies and gentlemen, once again, we are proud to have him on the show. And his man here is quickly rising through the bell through the bantamweight rankings we might see him back in bellator might see him someplace else i'm looking forward to seeing 2021 but we come back we got a whole lot more here including we've got it's well our final guest i can't tell you who it is yet but we've had keith lee we've had Yornel lugo we'll have a third party here well we're guaranteeing some fireworks all this and more only on last call last call with the alcohol only on it is the blue wire hustle network Stay tuned for more great action. everyone to its last call last call with the alcohol only on the blue wire hustle network and now join me on the line this man here he will be fighting rafion stotts on november 19th and already he's getting a bit saucy for all you people on twitter on facebook instagram who says oh he has no chance you should just you know give up well he's gonna tell you where to go into arkansas i give you once again the pride and joy of a lee family I give you it is Keith Lee himself, Beltor Fan. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, Lord. You've been getting a bit saucy. Getting <laughs> people are going, oh, you have no chance. Raphael's too good. Uh, how how often how often do you look and go, man? I really wish I could just start cursing here on Twitter, but I won't get kicked off of Twitter just yet. <laughs> uh, it it don't really affect me. It don't really get under my skin. It's more of a. a I just see ignorance in people and I, I, I see people with self-doubt and and projecting that self-doubt on other people. And I just like to have fun with it. Let's talk good news, bad news. The good news is you are a live dog. You are a talented fighter. Mm-hmm. Bad news is we spoke with Rafael on Stotts a while back. He said, I'm not sleep on this kid. You know, mm-hmm. he's not just, you know, the baby brother of the UFC fighter Lee. Uh, he mm. he's, he's he said you're a damn talented fighter. You bring a lot to the table. He's not taking you taking you lightly. How tough is that when you can't sneak up on people? People know who you are. I mean, they've yeah. already seen you. Now. You've made a name for yourself in Bellator. People in the know know that you're not just some guy who shares the last you know last name of a UFC uh, contender. Uh, to be honest with you, I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting him to come in uh, underestimate me. Um, you can even look by my built that I'm a very long, tall, rangy 135er. And if you come in there underestimating that, I don't care whose last name I got. That's just a bad mistake. And and somebody at the high level of Rafian, uh, I knew he knew what, what he was getting into. The same way I know what I'm getting into. Um, I know he's not a random guy on Twitter that's just going to say, oh, Rafian's this, Rafian's that. I, he he know what kind of fight he took, and I know what kind of fight I took, and I'm just ready to go out there and perform. So break it down for us. What makes Rafael mm-hmm. Stott so dangerous? I mean, because as you said, you're the bigger guy, you're the stronger guy mm-hmm. naturally, coming down from 145 to 135, and he's probably your best test to date. So what makes him such a dangerous fighter when you look at him in on tape? Uh, I don't think he's that dangerous. I think everybody I fought is dangerous. Uh, I don't look at him no different than I looked at the last three guys that I fought. Uh, I don't think he's that dangerous. I just think that he's a game opponent and he's athletic and he's good at controlling guys. Uh, I think I'm more tenacious. I think I'm going to go out there and I'm going to get after it and I'm going to go out there and perform. And nothing that he does is going to surprise me or nothing that he does is going to 
uh, affect the way I go out there and perform is me versus me. When I go into the cage, I'm looking at myself. Uh, I'm not even noticing that he's there. It's always a test to see if I can one up myself and to see if I can go out there and perform better than I did last time. That's all I care about really. I'm guessing you saw his last fight and he took down, mm -hmm. you know, grounded pound and ended up submitting Cass Bell. A mm -hmm. lot of people say, well, he'll do the same to you. He's mm -hmm. Cass Bell is a big guy like yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, how much does it help though that you have in your mind, you have that wrestling experience. You've come from a wrestling mm -hmm. background. You went to college and, you know, wrestled there. So mm -hmm. it's not like you're this guy who just started out. How much do you feel you have a wrestling semi advantage in that you, you've been through the wars, in the college ranks? Uh, I'm not Cass Bell, and I'm not anybody that he's fought before. And uh, I, I'm not even going to be the cliche fighter and sit here and be like, oh, he's never seen anybody like me. I'm pretty sure he has. He has a lot of experience. He's fought guys that can wrestle. He's fought guys that can strike. Uh, but he hasn't fought me. So I don't think the Cass Bell comparison even matters. Uh, I wanted to fight Cass Bell in my first fight, but they gave me um, – uh, what's his name? They gave me somebody else instead. So, I mean, it, it doesn't really – it doesn't affect me when I, I see him fighting guys like Caspiel or fighting other guys. I just know the the consensus is that he might be a better wrestler or he might be a better grappler. None of that matters to me. It's all about what I go in there and do and what I go out there and show. And I know in my heart, and he knows in his heart, it's going to be a dog fight. If he think he's going to come out there and just take me down, I don't know. I, I think he got another thing coming. And it's, it's more or less of what I go out there and do. I don't give a fuck what he does. Let's take you back to your first fight ever in the Bellator. It was mm -hmm. you versus Sean Bunch and Sean Bunch. Yeah, I don't know why it's based on his name. Yeah, Sean and you Sean and you Bunch. and I know who he is. Me, mm -hmm. he was the Olympic contender. But he they was... said the same thing going into that fight. They yeah, said the so... exact same thing going into that fight. They said I was going to get taken down. Uh, he took down Dominic Mazota, and Dominic Mazota is a, a very talented grappler. He took down Dominic Mazota in a fight before me, and he rolled him out. Uh, he didn't land the takedown on me, and it's not because I'm this outstanding wrestler or I'm an outstanding fighter it's just I have a will that won't be broken and when I go out there and I perform to my best I don't think it's a guy that can mess with me in this game and um I just think it's, it's gonna be the same the last guy I fought they said was gonna outstrike me because he was a Muay Thai striker and he had his own gym and I don't think one takedown will score within a whole fight and I, I won pretty uh decisively so well I was gonna say how much did that fight help boost your confidence in that Bunch has done that he I mean he's beaten Joe Warren. He's beaten guys like Rodrigo Lima. This wasn't some, you know, just bum off a street that you were getting your uh -huh. first Bellator fight. This is a guy who came from a power gym, had a little bit better pedigree, had uh -huh. beaten guys here. How much did that fight give you confidence that, hey, you know what? I can hang with the best of them right now in Bellator. I, there's nobody who can throw at me that's going to now out-wrestle me or out-grapple out, out me. Uh, I knew that before that fight, and I knew it after uh, my confidence in, is in God. My confidence doesn't come from another man. Uh, it doesn't come from a, a competition. It comes from, from the path that I know God has me on and the path that I know that I can feel myself knocking down doors and I can feel myself getting better and I can feel myself elevating as a fighter and as a, as a competitor. Uh, that's where my confidence comes from. It, win, lose, or draw, my confidence doesn't come from a, a fight or, or something that somebody else projects onto me. It's all about what I go out there and do. And win, lose, or draw with, with any fight that I have. It's all about me getting better, and it's all about me going out there and performing. We'll go back to this in a bit. How much did it help that, as you said, you grew up in a family where wrestling was big. Mm -hmm. You had three brothers. By the, by the way, you had a guy named Kevin, I guess, a, a UFC fighter or something other. So you, <laughs> you, you, you got beatings, I'm guessing. And I mean, there were beatings being <laughs> yeah. handed out during Christmas. Thanksgiving, any family get together. It was like, okay, family's here. We're go there's going to be some brawls. How much did that shape you in terms of this junkyard dog mentality? Uh, it, it was give and receive. We had a very competitive relationship. We still had a relationship to this day. Uh, we we always we rarely see eye to eye, so we always bump heads. But it's always in a competitive nature, and it's always out of love. So I mean, that definitely. I think anybody with siblings, especially with competitive siblings, knows the advantage that that comes with. Uh, it definitely it, it bred me to be competitive and to always be confident in myself because, like you said, he he's number he's top ten in the world, and if I can hang with him, I can hang with anybody in this game. How tough was it when you're first getting into the MMA scene and you're trying to build your own name? I mean, there's Kevin, everybody knows who he is, the Motown phenom. 
And then there's Keith. And, you know, as you said, it's this is your career, not his. This mm -hmm. is your life, not his. How, how tough was that getting out of his shadow and trying to show people, hey, look, I'm my own man. I'm my own fighter here. I'm not just Kevin Lee's little brother. I think it came natural. Uh, I'm, I'm never one of those guys that try and force narratives on other people. If you want to see me as Kevin Lee's little brother, that's fine. You can see me as Kevin Lee's little brother as much as you want because people still look at Sergio Pettis and still say Anthony Pettis is little brother and Sergio Pettis has a, a career of his own. So it, it is, is one of those things where it, it's, it's all a narrative. I can, you can run with the narrative as long as you want. I just went day by day, fight by fight and just continue to make my own name and continue to make my own path if guys want to see me as Kevin Lee's little brother, that's up to them. They don't got much to do with me. It never really affected me that much, which is my answer. If you're just tuning in, once again, we've got – it's uh, Keith Lee here on the show, a Bellator fame, a.k.a. Killa Lee. We're talking all things, of course, uh, Rafael Stotts. We're talking uh, getting into mixed martial arts, talking family affairs here. Take us back to – August 18th, 2018, split decision mm -hmm. loss, mm -hmm. Jeremy Pacatigua. Mm -hmm. After that fight, you've now gone on a four-fight win streak. You've beaten guys much better than him and Venetia Zani and Sean Bunch. Uh, what changed? Like, what made you go from having losses to guys like Tony Laramie, got losses to John Sweeney, and now beating guys who are at a much higher level? Uh, I think it was timing. I think it was timing. I think it was the way that God wanted my plan to go. And it was just lessons that I had to learn. And he just wanted me to learn those lessons. And early on, um, the the fight, Jeremy Packetou, I feel like I was waiting a little bit too much. I definitely felt like I had the more skill. I just was waiting. And, and I was more worried about what he was going to do and worried about just winning the fight rather than just letting the fight happen. Uh, I, I've learned lessons from each one of my losses and each one of my wins. And I, I wouldn't have it any other way. Like, I, I I feel like if it wasn't for those losses, I wouldn't have been beating guys like Sean Bunch or beating guys like Benicia Zani. I feel like those losses molded me. And some guys can look at the record and be like, oh, he's seven and three or he's six and three. At one point, I was three and three, and people were writing me off. And it, it's all about just going out there and performing again. And I wasn't – I didn't really take it too – too personal. Uh, when I was three and three, it, it definitely made me question what I was doing. I went through every emotion with what I'm doing. I went through every emotion with with what I'm trying to pursue in life. And I feel like if you're going to really be successful, you just got to really take the stance of I'm going to die behind what I'm going to go for. And that's the stance that I took. It, it, it's really that simple. Like I got to a point where it was, I was I would die for what I'm trying to achieve in life. Rest in peace, Nipsey Hussle. You've moved all over the place. I mean, you trained mm -hmm. in Vegas, you trained in Michigan, not, mm -hmm. and you've, you've trained also in Montreal. T tell us mm -hmm. about that because you've been working with Faraz Sahabi for a while. I I'm not sure if you're still with him or not because I've heard we've heard different things. So, first, yeah. are you still with Faraz Sahabi in uh, TriStar? Uh, I was never really with them. I just went out for Kevin's camp. Kevin was uh, doing, he did two or three full camps out there. I'm pretty sure when Kevin goes back out, I'll go back out again. But uh, I, I've never really been out there. I just went out there with Kevin. Uh, my main training coaches, uh, Dewey Cooper and Corey Goodwin, and uh, Eric Nixick over at Extreme Couture's. All right, so I'm I'm glad you brought. So I'm glad we got that clarified. So let's take mm -hmm. about that because we we had a, of course Tim Johnson on the show a while back, and he said mm -hmm. when he went to Extreme Couture after training out of other places, it was night and day with the coaching, with the sparring, and everything. Mm -hmm. How much does that help you with your growth going there and having, you know, coaches who fought, coaches who've been at the highest level, top training partners, you know, state-of-the-art, you know, equipment and everything. I mean, how much easier is it now fighting when you're not at a disadvantage? Not like, well, I don't have good sparring partners or my coaches don't know enough here or I don't have, you know, enough medical equipment or strength and conditioning. How much easier is it having everything at your fingertips so you can go, okay, I can do this, 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 and this, and Everything is there for you. Well, I've been blessed enough and fortunate enough to start my career at Extreme Couture's. Uh, nothing's really changed. I just kind of bounced around, and I was lucky enough to to have opportunities to work with guys like Faraza Hobby and work with guys back home. Uh, but but when I first started, I was 18, and we moved to Vegas. And my very first introduction was with Dewey Cooper and uh, Extreme Couture's. So I nothing really changed. I've been there since I was an amateur. Uh, I was on the amateur team there. I've grown all the way up to being one of the top pros in a gym. And it's just humbling to, to see the the role that I took 
and the experience that I've learned from that gym. And it, it's great. And it's, it's very humbling to work with top level guys and, and to be competing and uh, just really know my level. That, that's why when I, I hear narratives like this is too much too soon or this guy's too good, if, if only you saw the guys I was working with on a daily basis and if only you saw the level that I was pushing myself and the level of greatness and the, the amount of belief I have in myself. I have all chips on myself, so I feel like it's just time to collect. All this is happening as we talk, and as you said, you've, that narrative has been pushed for this fight. Oh, it's too soon for you and Rafion Stotts. Mm-hmm. Oh, Rafion Stotts is a killer here, and they I said know that you've been playing cool and everything. Yeah, and they fans are one thing. Fans say everything here. Does it get? Yeah. Do you get pissed though when it's like media or other fighters, and you're going, "You guys know better here. You know this sport. This, <laughs> you know, I'm not. They're not going to just throw me here against anybody who I don't. They don't think can compete. And you know." what I am. So why the hell are you saying this? No, it don't really bother me. Uh, they like to they did the same thing against Sean Bunch. Uh, they did the same thing in my very professional, my very first professional fights against Tony Laramie. Tony Laramie had four uh, pro belts and as, am- I mean, four amateur belts and they was touting him as uh, a professional since he was like 16 years old. So, I mean, it, I've had this, I've never had an easy route. Uh, I've never had an easy route to, to where I'm going in life. So I never really, it don't really affect me. It don't, upset me i understand it's a narrative that that people pushing their own head and i just talk it up to really just being self not self-confident with themselves and 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 just projecting fear on other people uh i don't have fear in this game i'm not afraid of anybody i'm not afraid of learning i'm not afraid of of losing i think that's that's what really changed my my life and when it comes to this fighting game i'm not afraid of going there and losing so i i'm willing to go in there and i'm willing to put everything online to really learn I feel like a loss is only if you go out there and you don't perform. If I go out there and I perform and I go out there and I show the best Keith Lee possible, I don't feel like there's a possibility for me to lose. I'm, I'm fighting on one of the biggest stages. I'm providing for my family. I'm making sure everybody around me is proud. So I don't I don't see a loss in this game. So it, it, the, the narrative that people push don't really affect me. I, I just I feel more bad and more sympathy for them than I do uh, anger. I'm very happy, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, it'll be November 19th. It's going to be a star-studded card. It's Caldwell versus McKee. It's Henderson versus Jackson. It's this man here versus Rafion Stotts. I give you once again, uh, all the way from Detroit, Michigan, via now Extreme Couture, I give you Killer Keith Lee. Uh, Keith, before I let you go, where can the fans check you out at? Where is the Twitter page, Instagram, the website? More importantly, who are the sponsors for this fight coming up for you? So all of my uh, social media is Keith underscore Lee 125. Uh, I think my Twitter is KJ Go Crazy or Keith underscore Lee 125. Uh, my sponsors is Real Water. Uh, shout out to Dewey Cooper, Bubba Jenkins. Uh, my brother is always Kevin Lee. Uh, Lockhart Entertainment. They're going to do all of my meal prepping for the week. Uh, yeah, that, that's about it. I just want to give a, a, a shout out to God and and uh, thank you. Uh, thank for uh, I'm thankful for the opportunity even to be here speaking to you. And I'm thankful for the opportunity to get these doors knocked down on my life and really just start my own path. Keith Lee, ladies and gentlemen, a.k.a. Killer Keith Lee. We are proud to have him on the show. Uh, we come back. We got a whole lot more here. It's only on Last Call. Last Call with the alcohol only on. It is Blue Wire Network. Stay tuned for more great action.
And welcome back, everyone, to its last call. Last call with the alcohol only on. It is last call. It is on the uh, Blue Wire Hustle Network. You know, join me on the line. This man here, well, he is armed with his uh, incredible boxing ability, and a lot of people say he is the future at 168 and 175. And, well, in your third win, when you are co-main eventing on PBC on Fox and beating up a guy who is 22-0-1, well, you know, you're going places. I give you all the way via Cuba, now living in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I give you with his lovely uh, girlfriend, Anna. I give, I give you this once again. The most talented man, I'd say, above 168 pound pound. I give you David Morell Jr. Uh, David, let's start off here with you. It was once again PBC on Fox. Your third fight out, you Lennox Allen. Were you surprised at how easy it became? But after let's say the third or fourth round, it seemed you was a, it was basically a sparring session for you. You could do no wrong. That right hand was you know hitting the mark. Were you surprised at how quickly you were able to dominate a guy who had 23 professional fights and was undefeated. Después de la tercera y cuarta round que se te hizo sorprendente tan fácil que pudiste dominar la pelea. No, porque estaba no, no habíamos confiado primero que todo en mi trabajo y en y mi condición física. Not at all. I was um, proud and confident with my training and my work ethic, so I was ready for it all. Me sentía demasiado motivado y con muchas ganas de obtener ese, ese título. I was overly motivated and um, excited for that title. How weird was it for you in that there was no crowd? So you could hear everything. You can literally hear your corner. You can hear his corner. Was it, how, how I guess, bizarre was it that basically you could hear a pin drop with no crowd or anybody in the audience except for just the trainers, the camera people, and the announcers. ¿Qué tan raro fue para ti no tener un público? O sea, que era muy callado y podías escuchar a tus entrenadores y simplemente todo lo que estaba pasando ahí. Sí, fue, fue un poco este, un poco raro, pero me, me adapté fácilmente a la, la circunstancia. It was very weird, but I was able to adapt quickly to the situation. Y sí, exactamente, se, se escuchaba todo, todo lo que decían tus entrenadores, es decir, ten, tenía más, más concentración en la pelea. And yes, you can, you could hear all that the trainers were saying, so it was actually a little bit better, the fact that I could hear my trainer so well. Hay, hay boxeadores que, este, hay pelea que... There's certain fights sometimes um, that you give a hit and because of the uh, the crowd being so noisy. Eso como que mucho a, 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 a it almost uh, makes you not concentrate on it with some boxers. Y por eso digo que ahí me empate, ¿no? Porque siempre la, la, la... El ánimo público es muy importante también. Not to say that the the crowd being there isn't motivating. That's something that's very motivating, but. Pero sí, sí, me fácilmente a la, la circunstancia. But it was easy to adapt to that type of situation. We'll go back to the fight in a bit. Let's talk about some of the bigger things that have happened with you. You, your story is well known. You fled Cuba. You came to Minnesota. That's we're talking huge culture shocks. You go from a very warm place to a place which is bitter cold. You know, sometimes you spit and it freezes here. How much have you had to adjust overall with everything? Not just English language, you know, slang languages, you know, different trainers, but just living in a place which is incredibly cold, incredibly times just bitter, coming from a place where it was very warm and very humid. Viniendo de aquí de Minnesota, aquí a Minnesota desde Cuba, ¿cuál fue la diferencia de cultura? No solamente aprender el lenguaje, inglés. ¿Cómo te has adaptado aquí a Minnesota? ¿Cuál es la diferencia? La, la única diferencia fue este, la fuerza de voluntad y, y la gana de poder ver a mi familia alguna vez aquí conmigo y de, de salir adelante. 
Well, the, the most important part of it was willpower to leave my family behind and be able to come uh, to the States, especially here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. But having my family in mind and all that I was leaving behind just give, gave me that much more willpower to adapt. And, and the want and, and need to be a, a, a legend in boxing. The sky is honestly the limit as long as you keep your eye on the prize, um, whatever circumstances you can, you can overcome. In the past, we've had several Cuban fighters, whether it's uh, Jorge Masvidal, whether it was uh, Juan Pablo Hernandez, uh, Yoel Romero, and they've all said the toughest thing is leaving home because you can't go back. Once you leave, you're done. How long did it take you to, to agonize over this? Because as you said, you wanted mortality, you wanted freedom, you wanted all these things, and it comes with a cost. You can't go back. You can't go back to Cuba and see your family there. How long did you think about this decision before you decided, I got to take the plunge, I have to move, or else I'll never achieve my dreams? Esta movida es como que agonizante, ¿no? Para ti, ¿qué tanto tiempo tú pensaste en esto para hacer la, tomar la decisión de venir para acá, dejar todo sabiendo que no puedes regresar a Cuba aún? El tiempo exactamente fue como de un año. It was exactly about a year time of, of making my decision. I had several offers prior to, to make that jump, but that's what was keeping me behind my family and leaving them behind. Hasta que un día me, me decidí porque dije, quiero, quiero enseñar al mundo quién soy yo. Until one day, you know, I decided that it was time for me to either go. Um, it was a time for me to go so that I can show the world who I really am. To be able to guarantee a future for my unborn children um, and uh, security for my family back home. And to become a legend ever since a kid, that was my dream to be someone, to make a name for myself and become a legend in boxing. And that was what drove me or what was driving me to leave Cuba. If you're just tuning in, ladies and gentlemen, once again, we get it. David Morrell Jr. with his translator confidant and uh, lovely girlfriend Anna here. We're talking all things, of course. So next, Alan, we're talking leaving Cuba. Let's talk about the changes you had to make in the ring. Uh, you're with a very talented team here. You get two trainers who are highly regarded. Uh, you are promoted by Luis de Cubas and Leon Margulis with his group here. Uh, it's different, though. It's, this is not the amateur system where it's about a lot of just scoring, scoring, scoring. Pros, body punches count. There's not as much, there's no headgear. You have to worry about certain, you know, being tied up and not letting referees just break you up here. For you, how tough is it, or has it not been tough having to translate from going from a system where it's just score, 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 a lot of jabs a lot of just touching to learning to go to the body learning to you know use body shots learning to fight from the inside how much has this been sort of a re-education for you hablando boxísticamente qué tan grande uh, o tan diferente ha sido el cambio para ti ya que estás profesional versus amateo en un lugar de Cuba donde es punto, punto, punto versus aquí que, que es profesional y con tus entrenadores. El punto de vista, el, el cambio ha sido eh, un poco. The change has been small, minimum. Um, pero como ya te dije anteriormente, me supe adaptar rápido a, a, este, a este mundo bocístico. 
But like I said before, mentioned before, it was, it has been easy for me to adapt to this new boxing system and world. Pero sí, el cambio de, de punto, 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 al, al cambio este de pro, eh, fue un, un, una gran barrera. But yes, uh, the difference in amateur from scoring points on points versus the professional boxing, um, it has been a, a great barrier. En el amateur, simplemente era marcar un punto y ya podía de pasarte la pelea completa. In amateur, you could score points and, you know, win the fight that way. Eran tres asaltos. It was three. Uh, y en el pro es totalmente diferente. And in pro, it's completely different. You have to maintain the fight and maintain a rhythm. When to attack, when not to attack. Be just exact and right on time because any minimal, um, minimal, Minimal equivocación. Minimal uh, error, you could, um, you could lose a fight or get knocked out. Eh, y siempre hay que, son muchas cosas que, que tengo que tener aquí y he tenido que aprender aquí que antes no. It's just a lot of things that I've had to learn here that before wasn't even in my mindset. Por algo ser profesional y lo que hacía antes era motor. There's really a reason why um, it's called professional boxing versus what I was doing in Cuba, amateur fighting. Last question for let you go, and it's a bit of a personal question, I know. How tough is it with all these temptations? And when I say temptations, usually most people think, oh, with drugs, sex, or, you know, money. For you, it's just abundance of stuff. In Cuba, you know, as most people have told me, it's when you're poor, you're poor. Here in America, <laughs> you're, you're, you're poor, you can still afford a cell phone. You can get video games. You can get fast food. You can get, you know... Uh, Basically, even you know, good decent clothes, and we've seen where a lot of athletes have left Cuba into Miami. They get just spoiled because all of a sudden everything you couldn't have, they have. You couldn't have a candy bar, now you can have a, you got a truckload of them. How tough is it was it for you when you first got here not to just go bananas? Because all of a sudden it's oh, I can have pizza, I can have a cell phone, I can have you know chocolate bars of the yin yang here, I can have a <laughs> you know a smoothie every day. This is awesome and. It's like, okay, I came here to work, but oh, there's all this delicious food. Oh, I came here to work, but oh, I can hang out with the girl and watch Netflix for a week and not do anything. Oh, I came here to work, but there's free stuff. Yep. Dice, ¿qué tan difícil o qué tan tentador ha sido venir de un lugar de Cuba donde no tienes muchas posibilidades de darte tus gustos? Y cuando dice tentación, no necesariamente del alcohol, ni de las drogas, ni nada de eso. Simplemente el hecho de que todo lo que tú quieras lo puedes tener. Si te quieres comer una pizza, te comes una pizza. Si te quieres comer un chocolate, te comes un chocolate. Si quieres quedarte en tu casa a ver Netflix todo el día, lo puedes hacer. ¿Qué tan tentador ha sido para ti? La verdad que muy tentador, en serio. It's honestly the most tempting. Ya como, como, como usted dice, en, en Cuba no tenemos nada de esto. Just like you say, in Cuba, we're not able to have that freedom. Y lo mínimo que podría tener alguna persona que otra es un, un gran televisor o un buen celular. And, and the minimum uh, that you could have in Cuba, or the maximum that you can have in Cuba is really a TV or a cell phone. Um, pero, and that's a luxury. Yeah, pero siempre, siempre este, mantener una mente este, despejada de todo eso. Um, I just try to keep my mind focused at all times, away from temptation. Keep my eyes on the prize and, and my boxing career. I think that later in life I will have all the freedom I want to eat as much pizza and watch as much Netflix as I want, but right now... Right now I'm focused, but it is very tempting. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, we are proud to have on the show one of the rising stars with not just the PBC, but the world of boxing at 168, 175. 
armed with his lovely confidant train and uh girlfriend Anna, I give you it is David Morell Jr. David, before I let you go, where can the fans check you out? Where is the Twitter page, Instagram, the website? How can fans reach out to you? Yeah. Yeah, my Instagram is David Morell Jr. with no hashtags, nothing, all lowercase altogether. Yeah. On Facebook, uh, similar. Facebook is the same, David Morell Jr. I just made a new YouTube channel, David Morell Jr. I have the same picture and try to keep the same name throughout the whole thing on my YouTube page. However, I'll be keeping more updates on my trainings. I will find all the things I have in my training, the next fights, the latest news, training updates, and things that are, are coming up for David Morrell Jr. David Morrell, ladies and gentlemen, once again, we are proud to have him on the show for the Blue Wire Hustle Network. And, well, I want to thank, once again, my wonderful guest earlier of the hour. We had Jornel Lugo, hoping he gets his Bellator contract soon after his performance last Thursday night. Plus, Killer Keith Lee, who will be fighting this Thursday against Rafion Stotts. Looking forward to seeing him in action. You heard earlier from this, literally this Saturday, about a boxing recap. One. We will go if you missed it, you can check it out with Vic Salazar. I want to recap the last Thursday night's uh, fights with Bellator, and they delivered. I mean, if, if that was, I think, the first CBS card for Bellator where you could look up and down Bellator 252 and go, all three fights delivered. There wasn't a bad fight, there wasn't a fight where we looked and went, Oh my god, I can't believe this is terrible, or you know, what my wife put this on, or this bad luck here. Everything delivered. And it started off with the action-packed fight between Daniel Weichel versus Manuel Sanchez. Uh, Sanchez looks just miles ahead of where he was even three or four years ago. He is a more complete fighter. He was pushing the pace, going to the body, attacking, breaking down Weichel, who that man is one tough SOB. I mean, he took some shots that would have broken most men. And yet he kept on coming. He made it a fight. It was a unanimous decision victory for Emmanuel Sanchez, but Weichel made it. It was a competitive fight, and you, that's all you can ask for. Again, with two guys who are that evenly matched there. You then followed up with a welterweight scrap, which if you love pure grappling, if you enjoy literally just seeing guys who can grapple, who can you know, do switches, who can scramble. Logan Storley versus Yaroslav Amosov was the fight for you. A split decision victory for Amosov. But Logan Storley, you know, you look and he got, several times he got in deep in a single leg takedown in the first two rounds. And Amosov was either able to fend it off and come back with a couple jabs, a couple straight right hands. Or he able, he was, several times he turned it into Darsade chokes. Or or even bulldog chokes, and Storley was able to scramble a lot of O's. And then the third round, that's where you sometimes find out champion medal because Storley, tired as hell, finally gets Amosov, you know, in a rear naked choke position. And give credit to the Russian, he just fended it off. It was in deep. Most guys, I think, would have tapped. He was able to break the hold. He gets back to his feet. He survives the round. He's a, he is, I think, the most dangerous challenger right now for Douglas Lima because he brings that wrestling game. He brings that scrambling. He knows how to use submissions, unlike several others. And if you're Logan Storley, you have nothing to hold your, you know, your hold your hat on. You went in there against a guy much more older than you, much more experienced, who's... I'd say a more diverse fighter and you came within a scorecard of upsetting him on one on one, on two Georgia scorecards. If he'd been, I'd say if he'd gotten taken his back of a second round, we're not talking Logan Storley getting a number one, a title shot against Douglas Lima. But as I said, that just, 
it wasn't meant to be. And then finally, you have to appreciate Patricio Pitbull. He is, I would say, the best featherweight in the world. No, no disrespect to Alexander Volkans- Volkansky or even Max Holloway. Pitbull is just right now on a world above even them, I'd say. You look at what he did with Pedro Carvalho, and he just walked him down, took him down when he needed to. Got you know Carvalho threw some shots here. You know Pitbull was able to duck them and just right cross, just a short right cross. It's not you know one of these huge things. He just drops and knocks out Carvalho to advance. And you know Pitbull versus Emmanuel Sanchez too. The Bellator couldn't, couldn't ask for a better fight than that. That is, it's youth versus the veteran. It is the establishment versus this uprising here. You talk about A.J. McKee, Darian Caldwell this weekend. Bellator got what they wanted here. This is the four best featherweights, guys who I think they look and go, all right, we're ready. And for all intents and purposes, this is the, the final four that they wanted. And you know what? I like it. It is a. I'm looking forward to the to these two fights here. I'm looking forward to this Thursday's fights, which we'll talk on later. But credit to Bellator for this for this first card, which you can say I'm the CBS banner, where everything they put on paper, everything they laid out came to fruition. All fights were competitive, or even, except for the main event. In the main event, he did he did what he had to do. He made a statement. He went out there and just, you know, knocked it out of the park. Patricio Pitbull, still your featherweight champion and your lightweight champion. It's going to take a Herculean effort from anybody to beat him, but we'll see what happens here. Uh, as I said, we're going to break down the card more on Wednesday, but as I said, right now, for if you're just tuning in, it's going to be Bellator MMA 253. It is... Darian Caldwell versus A.J. McKee in the main event. Plus, you've got, it is Benson Henderson versus Jason Jackson in a welterweight scrap. Joey Davis takes on Bobby Lee. Keith Lee versus Rafion Stotts, which to me, that is a damn good little card here. It is a lot of young guys who are getting, who they're trying to push. It's two establishment young rising fighters who they're hoping they see big things out of. And you get a vet versus a quasi-young guy in Henderson versus Jackson. Overall, I'm looking forward to it. It is a great card. I am looking, you know, this is going to be something that hopefully the action matches the fights. We'll see what happens here going forward. But credit to Bellator right now for everything going on with no fans, never nothing happening here. All their fights right now on CBF, on the CBS Sports are putting on. Kudos to them. They are making the best of what they have. But we'll see. You know what? As I said, then you also have down the line, December 10th, it is Alima Lee McFarland defending her title against Juliana Velasquez. And we still are trying to figure out what's going to happen here with the big fight between heavyweight. Who is going to get the number one, number one fight for that here? Uh, we're waiting on to see, you know, Sergio Pettis versus Juan Archuleta. That fight has already been announced. There's several fights coming down the line for Bellator. And with the CBS deal, with everything going on here, you can't ask for anything more. But we got to wrap this up. Once again, for my wonderful guest, Jornel Lugo, who once again, very impressive in his unanimous decision victory on Bellator 252 undercard. Fourth, Keith Killily, who'll be fighting once again on Bellator 253 against Rafael Stotts. And last but not least, David Morrell Jr. As this kid's going to be a force. He is 3-0 already, 26 years old, and already he's just chopping people down to size. This is Chris Connor saying stay tuned, everyone, for more great action only on Last Call. Last Call at the Alcohol. It is the Blue Wire Hustle Network. Stay tuned for more great action coming your way. Don't miss it.